The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where our goal every single solitary week is to give you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. Everybody should start or grow their own real estate investing business. That's my theory. If you had your house and then you had one other rental property and that was it, that was all the further you went with it. Wouldn't your retirement be different than the way it's looking right now? Wouldn't your kids' lives be different when you died and passed on that rental property? It's a good business to be in, and you don't have to be in it all crazy, full-time, 80 hours a week, like some of the folks that you see around you. There's no no particular, uh, I don't know, it's not a it's not a character flaw to only want to own one or two rentals or do one or two rehabs. It's all it's all good. Get out there and do it. Today is question and answer week on real life real estate investing. My inbox at askvina at gmail.com is full up with questions. But if you have one that you want to make sure gets answered today, you can call eight seven 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 two nine six five eight and be on the air live like a star and ask your real estate related question, whatever that happens to be. 877-772-9658 is the number to call. And I have a big announcement that's going to be exciting to some of you and some of you it's going to make your heart fall to the floor. Cincinnati RIA and Central Ohio RIA are starting back up with live meetings and that starts tomorrow here in Cincinnati. Now, don't panic. I know there's there's a lot of people who still aren't comfortable being in groups of people and I know there's a lot of people from all over the country who've joined these two associations during the lockdown because you were able to attend every meeting online on your couch the only meeting that is going to be live for the next few months is the first meeting of the month. All focus groups and the second meeting of the month are staying online for the time being. And the meeting tomorrow night is going to be simulcast. You can't see me because I'm on the radio. I've got my fingers crossed about it being simulcast. There's a lot of technology involved in simulcasting. So if the tech gods agree and cooperate, there it will also be simulcast. So that doesn't so you don't you it doesn't mean you have to stop attending meetings if you've been 
attending them from someplace else in the country or you feel more comfortable at home. It just means you'll watch on Zoom while everybody else has a live meeting. Uh, the topics tomorrow night, six o'clock, uh, simple, effective, cheap asset protection plans. Um, this is a sort of a reaction to the fact that members have been, uh, constantly for years and years and years coming in and saying, well, I just signed up for a $15,000 asset protection plan for my two rental properties. And it involves a corporation in North Dakota and a trust in the Caribbean. And I don't understand it, but by golly, I feel protected. Well, you know what? If you don't understand it, you can't use it. And if you can't use it, you're not being protected. So Scott Ellsworth is going to talk about like bottom line, what do you really need? It's going to cost you under a thousand dollars. He doesn't even have it for sale. It's just, you know, here's, here's what you go to your lawyer and say, and, uh, you can get around all that complex stuff. That's super expensive. Uh, at the main meeting, I'm going to be talking about making creative offers, not creative, like you're thinking, not subject to the existing loan, that sort of stuff, but just kind of negotiating creatively, you can get your link to join up or be there live if you're in the Cincinnati area at CincinnatiRia.com. That's Cincinnati, R-E-I-A dot com. If tomorrow night isn't good for you, Central Ohio RIA is having the same meeting on Tuesday the 6th, only in Columbus. So if you're listening from the Columbus area and you've been missing Missing being around other like-minded human beings, you can come to the Doubletree in Worthington on Tuesday night, or you can join us via Zoom. The link to do that is centralohiorea.com, centralohiorea.com. All right, let's get to the questions. It's question and answer week. It's the last Wednesday of the month, and which is always question and answer week. And again, if you'd like to call in with a question, 877-772-9658, 877-772-9658. Seven seven two nine six five eight, or you can email to askbina at gmail dot com. Here's a question from George in Louisiana. He says, "My question is about the insurance when you buy a property subject to the existing loan. I understand that if I buy a property subject to, I need to get my own insurance. I'm not clear about." what I'm supposed to do about the lender potentially finding out about or seeing the new policy. Can you enlighten me on this? And then he asked for a reference to an insurance company, which I did email you back with a reference for an insurance company. George, we don't do that here on public radio. And I was like, oh, this insurance company's the best. But um so here's the thing. The reason you need to make sure that there is a policy that covers that house, covers that loan, and is in your name is because you are the owner. You are the only one who can insure that property. What you're concerned about is the insurance company, of course, sends the new policy to the bank because they are an additional insured. All the additional insureds get copies of the policy. And you're afraid that that bank is going to look at that policy and go, wait, who's George? Our borrower's name is Mike. Why is George insuring this property? Okay. So the thing is, number one, the likelihood of that happening is extremely small. Uh, yes, they will. They, they need to input the 
policy number and the coverage is in the loan file, but the, the idea that the person who is working for the company that is only servicing the loan doesn't actually know it goes, wait, Mike, George, I don't understand this. Nope, they're just going to fill it in and you're not going to hear a thing. If they do happen to notice, that's okay because the other person who's going to be named in that policy is Mike, the borrower, as his interests appear. He's not going to be a co-insured because if he's a co-insured and there's a loss, then when the check comes, it comes in your name and Mike's name. And Mike hasn't owned this property for five years before this fire happened. But when Mike sees a check for $180,000 as payoff on the insurance, Mike might say, I'm not signing this unless I get some of it. Never mind that I gave it up five years ago, haven't made a payment since then. You've done all the repairs and upgrades. I want some of this check. So he's going to appear as additional insured as his interests appear. And of course, his interest, his legal interest in the property is nothing. So I hope that answers your question for you, George. Being told I have to take a break. So while I'm doing that, if you have questions for question and answer week, 877-772-9658 is the number here in the studio, or you can email it to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week. We try and do that at least once a month, usually on the last Tuesday of the month, just to kind of capture all those questions that folks, um, you know, just think of randomly during the month and go, I wish I could ask Vina that. This is our big day to do that. 877-772-9658 is the number here in the studio. You can also send your question to askvina at gmail.com. But I can tell you, if I see your name up on that screen because you called in, your question's getting answered before these email questions where I don't even know if the askers are listening. So we are going to go to the phones where ironically, everybody, everybody wait for this. This is good. We're going to talk to Mr. Cleveland from Minneapolis. Mr. Cleveland, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Yes, thank you. I had a question about the uh, meeting tomorrow night. Is there going to be a Meet the Experts uh, segment? (laughs) Yes, there will. The Ask the Experts segment will be from 5 to 6 p.m. on Zoom. And uh, I'm sure you're not coming live since you're in Minneapolis right now. But uh, for folks who would be coming live, we have uh, like a light dinner served at the hotel from five to six. And folks will be able to sit at Ask the Expert tables there, too. We got this all figured out, we think. (laughs) We'll know know more tomorrow night. (laughs) Well, we've been working on simulcast for a while up here. So... um... How's that it going up okay. there? How the, up there at Minria? Is it going? Uh, it's uh, picking up. Okay. And and is the simulcast you know, we do, working? We do our simulcast up here also. Mm-hmm. I'm also a volunteer here, so I physically go to the meetings and show people around. Mm-hmm. And it's it's improving. Good. Good. It's been a it's been an interesting year for real estate associations all over the country. I belong to a mastermind group of RIAs, so it's like the leaders of the RIAs talking about how to make better RIAs and the the 
inability to have live meetings knocked us all for a complete loop in March and April. Cause that's, and that's what RIAs are all about, right? It's you, you go to the meetings, you get belly to belly with other local investors and you talk business and you make deals and you create relationships and partnerships. And then all of a sudden, boom, sorry, no, you just got to see each other from the neck up on zoom now. So then we, we, you know, we, we worked through that at this RIA mastermind group all year long, just always talking about ways to make zoom meetings more engaging and, you know, who's, who, who, who does, who speaks really, really well when they're in a room, but not so good on zoom. And we should probably wait to bring them back until we can be in a room. And now that everything, that most places are allowing, uh, face-to-face meetings, we're all trying to figure out another thing, which is how do you, how do you hold a live meeting for the people who want it, but also continue to engage people on zoom. So it has been a year of learning for all of us. And I'm glad you and Mike up there are, are doing well with it. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for calling. You bet. All right. That number is 877-772-9658. 877-772-9658. Question via email from Michael. Um, and, you know, I haven't said this in a while, but I probably should. It really sometimes helps if you, when you're sending an email, you say where you are from, because sometimes... The answer would be different if you were in, say, San Diego versus, say, Cleveland. Because laws are different, prices are different, all that sort of thing. Um, Michael says, I have a few questions about LLCs. Do LLCs offer much protection to property owners who manage their own properties? How many properties would you recommend per LLC? Roughly, how much would you expect it to cost to have a lawyer start an LLC and transfer an individually owned property into it? So, Michael, uh, let me remind you, in case you spaced out during the very beginning segment when they play like the music and the disclaimer and it says this isn't legal accounting or other professional advice because I'm not a lawyer or an accountant. I will give you my uh, I've been a real estate investor for a long time opinion on this. And then you should probably check it with an attorney, particularly, you know, one in your local area. Limited liability companies are kind of the preferred asset protection of real estate investors and particularly people who own rentals. Um, There's not much advantage to having like a C-Corp or an S-Corp for most small real estate investors. And LLCs are super easy to understand and to keep track of the, of the corporate formalities. So every real estate attorney I know who is actually somebody who's, you know, working with real estate investors and not somebody who's selling expensive asset protection packages recommends LLCs. I think based on your first question, which is how much does it offer to property managers that manage their own properties? I think what you're asking is, does it provide a shield to you when you are also the one who is in direct contact with your residents all the time? So the, you know, the purpose, the purpose of the corporate shield is so that when stuff happens that nobody expects that, yeah, the person who thinks they're damaged can get the assets of the company, but not your personal assets. And, I mean, that's just, uh, you, you like that or not, it's, that's kind of a necessary thing for people to do any business. Would you, would you start 
a construction business where you had people operating heavy equipment around other people. If you, if any time somebody got hurt, you could personally get sued and lose everything you had. You you wouldn't you wouldn't open that company unless you didn't have anything, and that's not the person I want working for me. You would only open that company if there was some kind of shield between what was going on in the company was what was going on with your house and your bank account and your stocks and your bonds, right? But where the shield ends is where you have done a, like a personal act. So let's say that you, God forbid, discriminated against a tenant. That's you doing that. That's not the LLC doing that. You don't have, you don't have a shield against that because that was you. Now, if the property were to have a fire, you know, somebody, the next door neighbor comes and sets fire to the house. And of course, uh, you know, he's in jail now, so there's nobody to get damages from. Your residents were injured. Insurance will cover some of that and anything in excess of that. You could, you, you could lose the property that's in the LLC or, or some of the income that's from the LLC. That's different than personal acts. So if you're going to manage your own property, you, of course, have to understand the law and follow the law and not do stupid stuff and not make people mad. You should know that your LLC probably doesn't protect you against things like discrimination, even if you have a property manager, because the property manager is assumed to be an agent of yours and acting on your behalf. So if your property manager discriminates, you got the same exact problem. It's likely that the LLC would not protect you against your property manager's ill acts in the fair housing space. So you probably should, in addition to having the LLC and the usual insurance on the property, also maybe consider like an umbrella liability policy that picks up where all the other stuff leaves off and at least gives you some protection in case somebody pierces that corporate shield because you did something. How many properties would you recommend per LLC? I think you need to talk to your attorney about that. I have heard everything from, well, just pick an amount of equity you're comfortable with. Losing, right? Because that's the whole thing. You could lose all the equity within the LLC and say, I'm not putting more properties in the LLC than whatever that equals in my area. If I if I lived in San Francisco and I was, for some reason, buying $1 million rental properties, I might put each one in its own LLC. Properties that are owned with partners should maybe be in their own LLCs. Par- properties that are, uh, uh, like, like if you had an apartment building, that should be in its own LLC. But single family homes, the 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 balance that you're walking here, you could have one LLC for each property, or you could have, you know. I'm going to have up to half a million dollars equity in each LLC, whatever. Each one creates its own bookkeeping issues. If I have one for every property, then in theory, I should have that many EIN numbers and that many tax returns and that many bank accounts. Now, there's, of course, there's the whole, in some states, they allow these kind of parent and child LLCs where only the parent LLC actually files anything, but you may not live in a state like that. Um, 
for me, one property per LLC is a bit of, ex of, a, of a practical extreme because of the bookkeeping issues that you run into practically. It might be like the ideal thing to do for asset protection purposes, but you're going to find it's kind of a pain in the rear if you do it that way in the real world. Uh, roughly how much would it, you expect to have it cost for a lawyer to start an LLC and transfer a property into it? Well, you got a couple of costs there. You got the cost of filing with the state, which depending on where you live is probably pretty cheap. It's probably under $200. You've got the cost of having the LLC operating agreement drawn up, which could be, depends on how complex it is. Or is it a single owner? You got partners that you got to think about what happens if this goes bad. That's probably going to be 350 to 500. And then you've got the actual deeding of the properties from your personal name into your LLC, which depends on where you live. Here, we could probably do that for about a hundred bucks. Just new deed, tell the auditor it's a internal transfer and not a sale. So there would be no tax on it and you're done. There's other places where they make it much more expensive at the state level to do both of those things. So you're going to need to consult with a local attorney about that. But I also get the feel that you own rentals and you do not own them in LLCs. And I'm going to encourage you to stop that immediately. Might want to come to the Cincinnati RIA meeting tomorrow night because that's exactly what Scott Ellsworth is talking about at six o'clock. CincinnatiRIA.com will get you a link. Mike's doing this kind of, yeah, maybe do a break, maybe not do a break thing. Well, Mike, this next question takes up two pages of email, so maybe we should take a break now. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, 877-772-9658. If you want to make sure your question gets answered during this hour, if you don't care if maybe it gets answered on a later show, you can send it to askbina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Bina Jones-Cox. It's Q&A day, working my way through email questions and looking for callers at 877-772-9658. This next question is a fairly complex note question from Carla. And I'm going to try and boil it down to the important constituent elements here. Carla says, I have a note that a note purchaser wanted to buy. I put together the entire package, analyzed it, presented all the data. The note buyer seemed like uh, like they felt it was a good deal. They had their attorney review it. It was all good. And down to the last minute, suddenly they have some concerns. And then she gives a whole list of the note terms and has calculated the yield to the buyer at 11.1%. And she says, so this is what leads to my question. I did not calculate the net return in the yield. The buyer wants to pay a servicer $20 a month to service the loan. And of course, I did not calculate that in. Is the solution to ask the note seller to discount the note a bit more to enable covering this additional field to, uh, fee to keep the yield at 11.1%? So, Carla, um, the, what you have here is a conflict between how notes are usually evaluated and how this particular purchaser is evaluating the note for his particular situation. 
let's equate this with something that more listeners would understand or have, have be familiar with, which is how do you calculate the net operating income on an apartment building? You look at all the income and you look at all the expenses except for two expenses. And the two expenses that you don't look at when calculating net operating income and therefore cap rate is debt service and income taxes. Those are the two things that are left left out of a net operating income evaluation. Why are those two left out? Obviously, you have to pay your debt service or you don't own the apartment building for very long. And obviously, you have to pay your income taxes or you don't remain a free person for very long. Why are those two things left out by everyone when they show you a net operating income and a cap rate? The answer is because those two things are different for different buyers. How much income tax you pay depends on what income tax bracket you're in and how many other deductions you have and all sorts of things. And what your debt service is depends on how big a down payment do you put down and did you get a 6% rate or a 5% rate or a 3% rate? Because those things are variable by the buyer, you can't value an apartment building based on them because then the building would have a different value depending on which buyer was looking at it. Notes are kind of like that. You did it exactly right. You calculated the return on investment exactly right. And then your purchaser stepped forward and said, that is the return on investment, but it's not my return on investment because I would like to hire a servicer to service the note for $20 a month. And therefore, I'm not getting 11.1%. I'm getting 10.7% or whatever it was he came up with. That's That doesn't change the value of your note, it just changes to him. It, it's like instead of calculating, instead of calculating the return on investment, he calculated the cash flow. Now he still has to be happy with that. If he doesn't want to buy it, he doesn't want to buy it. There's other buyers out there for that note. Uh, but um, you did it right. And, and the purchaser also kind of did it right, except that he quoted, I think he, according to your email, he quoted back to you that the, Return on investment was only 10.7 and it's not. That's what he, that's his effective return because he is choosing to have this service and a lot of people would not choose to have it serviced, right? So the, um, second question is about insurance on this thing. And Carla, as I read this, this clause from the quote note that you sent me, it dawned on me that you are not in fact talking hear about a note, you were talking about a contract for deed. Those are different things and we need to be precise in our language when we talk to people about these things because if you told me you had a note, I'd be going down one path mentally about what I was buying and then I would see that, wait, the uh, seller maintains the insurance? Wait, this is this isn't a note, this is a land contract. And it's, and it's a different thing. So just you know, I guess that's just me shaking my finger at you virtually for saying note instead of land contract. Um, so the the insurance problem is that the deed the contract for deed says the seller will at all times maintain the insurance and that the buyer can obtain additional hazard or property insurance if they want to, but that that's not required. 
And apparently at some point, both the buyer and the seller forgot exactly what this said, and they let the buyer just completely replace the seller's insurance with the buyer's insurance. That's not what this clause says. It sounds like it's what they did, but it's not what this clause says. And your concern is how much of a potential exposure does the property insurance situation pose? The borrower wanted to exercise her option to cover the property insurance and has done so since March 2019. But given the language in the contract, is the exposure risky? The only thing about this clause that makes me think that there's anything risky here is it doesn't actually say it says that the purchaser will can cover additional hazard property insurance, da, 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 da. Sellers responsible for obtaining coverage for their personal property or contents is very common language. What it doesn't tell me is the the policy that the borrower got, that the the Vindy and the sign contract got, does it name the actual owner of the property as a co-insured? Because it should. If 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 the owner is not named in that policy then the owner is not protected and it is not a good policy. And the seller, the the terms in this land contract are funny. It says seller and purchaser. It should say vendor and vendee. The vendor needs to have insurance that covers the vendor. And if there are two policies on the property, because the vendee also has a, a full on policy, not just a, not just a contents policy, uh, that mean, that would mean that the property was doubly insured. So this is easily straightened out. Look, get a copy of the policy and see if the actual owner of the property, the vendor, is properly named as insured. And if so, it's exactly as if he was paying for the policy himself. And he will get notified if that policy is dropped and can pick up the policy again and make the Vindy pay for it, just like it says right here that the seller will maintain at all times insurance against loss and damage, and the purchaser agrees to reimburse the seller for costs of insurance. So I don't think that's a big deal if the insurance policy is written properly. So check that out. Uh, so thank you for that uh, very stimulating question there, Carla. We don't get too many note-type questions here on Real Life Real Estate Investing, which is probably a good thing since I'm not actually in the note business. <clears throat> okay, question from somebody who basically said that if I if I read her name aloud on the air, she was going to track me down and kill me. I mean, it wasn't quite that violent. It, the, the sentence just kind of trails off. If you use my name or city... I'm going to do, I don't know what, but something, LOL, is what it says at the top. Uh, my big frightening problem right now is loss of income. I own two rental properties free and clear with good leases and paying tenants and fair market values between fifty and 55000 One is held in my self-directed IRA and the other is held in my LLC. Both are similar three-bedroom, one-bath, 1,200-square-foot houses. I don't want to sell either property as I'm starting to build my portfolio I do self-manage both properties. Question, how can I leverage these properties for some cash right now to bridge my temporary income gap and not sell the property? One who wishes to remain anonymous on the airways, even though I love public radio and contribute all the time, <laughs> she says. Uh, so, 
a little more understanding on this income gap and how long you expect it to go on would have been maybe a little bit enlightening here, Miss Anonymous. But uh, I guess the first question I would ask you is sort of the, the obvious one. Let's set aside the one in the IRA because you can't probably get any income from that anyway unless you're over 59 and a half years old. I mean, I assume you're not withdrawing money from there yet. Let's talk about the one in the LLC. Is there some reason that you haven't just refinanced it? And you said you don't free and clear. Go get go get a loan. That's a good way to get some tax-free money to live on. It's going to cut your cash flow, obviously, but it's also going to give you some cash. Uh, you know, maybe there's a reason you can't do that. Maybe this income gap is from the loss of a job, and that maybe that doesn't make you the world's most attractive borrower right at this second. But there are private lenders who would loan you that money. There are probably some portfolio lenders that would lend you half of the fair market value without too much, you know, documentation and whatnot. That's the the easiest and most obvious thing. Uh, the There are some other more creative solutions that you could offer out to your fellow investors. I'm, you know, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people who are in the investing world are sitting on a lot of cash that they don't really have a good use for right now because, you know, the market got super hot. Uh, the CDC kind of decided that they were in the contract business back in September and said, uh, we're going to, we're going to invalidate the other side's part of contracts. If they decide that they can't pay their rent, you can't make them and you can't make a move. And so that drove a lot of, uh, and continues to drive a lot of longtime ho rental housing providers into selling their houses since it's a super hot market and they can get top dollar for them. And now they're sitting on the money because they can't find anything they like to invest in. So if you were to reach out to some of those folks and say things like, I would like to sell you an option to buy my house 10 years from now, and I would like to sell you that for this much cash. And in the meantime, you're getting nothing because you just have an option. But it's an option to buy a house later at a price we set today. Uh, there would be lots of people who would be willing to buy those houses from you and lease them back to you with an option to buy. So maybe you sell it for, maybe you sell the property for, let's see, what would I want to pay you? Say the fair market value is between 50 and 55 I assuming that it was in an area I liked, et cetera, and I don't know, but you know, assuming it was, I don't know, next door to me, I would, I would probably look at that and say, I would give her 40,000 to buy the house. And then I would lease it back from her. Or she would lease it back from me. Excuse me for, did you see what the rent was on these things? You did not for some number lower than the rent she's collecting. And she could have the right to buy it back anytime in the next five years for $45,000. Now, the reason I would want to give you 40 and not 50 is I would be afraid something would happen to you and you wouldn't buy it back. I want you to buy it back. You wouldn't buy it back. And then I would have to figure out what to do with this house that I didn't necessarily intend to buy. 
So, uh, you could sell half the ownership. You could, you could say to somebody, Hey, why don't you buy half my house for $25,000? Um, I will continue to manage it. We'll split all the goodies. We'll split the income. We'll split the cash, uh, the tax benefits. We'll, we'll split any equity that happens to come about. Uh, but I, Ms. Anonymous, I almost said your name. Oops. Ms. Anonymous, uh, want the right to buy back the half that you bought from me in the future when my income gap is over and I decide I don't really want to partner anymore and I want to buy it back at, you know, some, something like what you paid for it plus a little bit. But in the meantime, you get some tax breaks and whatnot. So there are, there are a number of creative solutions, all of which are going to involve you finding another investor who's looking for a place for money to land. And there's a lot of those right now. So good luck with that. I think you got a real good chance of finding somebody if you ask the question. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. 877-772-9658. If you have a question you want answered, we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. In case you missed the announcement at the top of the show, both Cincinnati RIA and Central Ohio RIA are going back to having in-person meetings that are also simulcast. So if you are in the Cincinnati area and you'd like to meet up with a socially distanced, masked up group of like-minded individuals tomorrow night, go to CincinnatiRIA.com. To get more information on that, you can also sign up to get a Zoom link for the simulcast there. If you're in the central Ohio area, like, you know, Columbus and environs, uh, same deal, except it's next Tuesday, centralohioria.com. That's centralohioreia.com. Back to questions. Darren says, hi, Vina. Hope all is well. Yes, thank you. It very much is. Although I just found out we've got a freeze warning tomorrow and it's... April, for heaven's sake. Mike, you need to get better weather reports to read. I don't predict it. I just read it. How do you approach a probate personal representative or family member about buying a property if real estate is involved? Well, Darren, the answer is nicely. I I was, uh, so I was married and my husband's father passed away leaving a piece of real estate in the estate and we started getting mail and a lot of the mail said hello i understand from the public record that you have to settle an estate with a piece of real estate in it i buy houses all cash quick close any condition and that was really it was really striking to me that this person, these people, there was more than one, clearly knew that there was a death in the family, and yet their approach was, my understanding is, according to the public record, all cash, any condition. And I was like, seriously? That's how you talk to somebody who you know that their family member just died? So I would suggest taking a more um, sympathetic tack, like, I'm sorry for the death of your family member, if you'd like to talk about selling the real estate that's in the estate. Give me a call whenever feels good to you. Um, also, if you, um, I, I try and like track the, the Yelp reviews and Google reviews of a lot of my competitors here locally. And I will tell you that some of them are taking a 
pounding on the business reviews for cold calling heirs and executors. Like somebody's family member just died and they're on the phone with them the day after the wills fell saying, hey, you want to sell that house? So, I mean, think think, think about, like, put yourself in other people's shoes, you know? It, you, your dad died on Monday. On the following Monday, you went and presented the will to the court. And on Tuesday, you started getting calls from people wanting to buy his house. Does that feel right to you? So I would say by mail, nicely. Follow up as you do with all sellers because, you know, somebody might not be ready today, but might be ready two months from now. And in terms of your question about the CRM, I cannot answer that on the air because, again, public radio, you trade off the fact that I can get these gurus from all over the country to come on here and actually talk and not pitch for the fact that I also can't recommend stuff. Have you ever noticed that the, the, the national speakers that you know that come on here, they're not like, and buy my course for 1997. That's because they can't because public radio. But also I can't recommend CRMs, I'm afraid. Uh, let's see. This one is from Gemini. Gemini says, I have land that I would like to buy in my self-directed 401k. Crops don't grow themselves. So am I allowed to farm the land or do I need to hire it out? Okay. Again, Jim and I, not a 401k attorney, expert, IRS agent, etc. But I feel pretty good in saying the answer is no, you are not allowed to farm the land that your 401k owns. You cannot provide that kind of personal service to create the income for your retirement plan that is tax-free when the farmer next door doesn't own his land in the 401k and therefore has to pay taxes on his crops. No, you can't do that. Your your strategy here is lease the land to a farmer who you are unrelated to. Lease the land out, okay? Because uh yeah, if 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 the IRS even started to think that you were out there plowing and planting and reaping and somehow the profits from that were going into your tax-free retirement plan, they would have something to say about that. And that what they would say is, nope, can't do that. Disallowed transaction. Uh, okay, so what else we got here? I, that's actually not a radio show question. It's so rare that I get non-radio show questions in this particular email box, but I will have to get back to that one later. Um, Val says, is there a way to do a title search yourself without paying for it? Like, so that you could know what liens and problems are on the title before making an offer. So Val, the answer is yes. There is a way to do that, but also no, you should not do that because it is time consuming and you're not an expert and you may miss things. And also it doesn't matter because when you make the offer, the offer is going to say this is contingent on the title being clear or at least, you know, clear after we close, if there's a mortgage on it, what we're going to 
you know, what I'm going to pay for it is going to pay off that mortgage. Um, there's a reason title searchers get paid for what they do. There's, there's a lot of little, you know, devil in the details kind of things in title searches. And I never, ever, ever, ever wait to make an offer until I've done my own title search or gotten a title search because I can tie up the property with a purchase contract, just like every buyer of every piece of real estate in America does with a contract that says me buying this property from you at this price is contingent on you being able to give me clear title. And then the seller signs it. And then it goes off to the professional title searcher who can also, by the way, sell you title insurance in case they mess that up. And then you, if there turns out to be a title problem, you and the seller go around and around about who's going to solve that or if it can be solved. Don't, don't, don't put the cart before the horse here, Val. You're going to spend a lot of time spinning your wheels. If you got a good looking deal, believe the seller when he says the title's clear right up until the time that you uh, get the title search and find out that's not true. Okay. Uh, let's see. Hez. Yay. Hez. We love Hez. He's the farthest away member of Cincinnati Rhea. He lives in Washington state and he gets up at 5 a.m. to come to our 8 a.m. breakfast meetings. I'm struggling with the idea of doing repair for equity deals when those are going to be sight unseen. I don't like the idea of relying on third party folks like real estate agents to be my believable local eyes and ears and in determining my determining the costs when I'm planning to fund the entire program out of my limited size pockets. If I was local, I'd be much more at ease. Okay. So Hez, this is a problem that everyone who wants to buy any kind of deal outside of their own market faces. And you are a little ahead of the game in that you already seem to understand that problems could arise from you buying a property way across the country that you had never seen and that you were depending on somebody else to see. So here's what you need to think through, because this is what everybody needs to think through. What would make you comfortable? Like what, what photos, videos, uh, professional property inspections, uh, flying out to see it yourself. What, what is it that would make you feel okay about doing this? Because there's something, there's something that would, um, I buy properties in markets that aren't as far away as like Cincinnati is from Washington state, but that are far enough away that it's not convenient for me to run up there and see the property and evaluate it myself. And so I have a whole checklist of things I want to see. I want to see and check all of these things before I actually write a check for this property. And I, I developed that out of what makes me feel like 99.9% .9 chance this is all okay. And it partly has to do with the people who are doing it. It partly has to do with what is being done and what am I seeing, right? So think that through. Okay, Hez, we are out of time. Thanks to all the listeners who sent in questions. We'll get to those who didn't get answered on a later show. And we'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.